Please be seated. It's good to see all of you here this Sunday. You look beautiful today, woven. Just want to share a few uh, updates and reiterate some of the announcements that were made before we launch into today's talk. Uh, we are having our members' annual meeting today after the service. If you are a member, you need to stay. Um, it is open, however, to non-members um, to observe. And so um, if you'd like to sit around and stick around and see how we do business as a church and see our budget numbers, that, that's, that's open. And we'd love to share that with you. So you're welcome to stay. And having said that, we have lunch. We have lunch provided today. Uh, it's not just for members. Um, I've just spoken with our connections coordinator, and that lunch is, is open to all. We have more on the way. So feel free to stick around and, and just linger. I know, I know that lots of times church is kind of in and out, but want to encourage you to stay, meet some folk, hang out. Since lunch is free, you know, you can go home and eat lunch, but you can also eat lunch here together. Um, and as I said, you're welcome to stick around. A couple of updates that um, are not in your bulletin, but that are forthcoming. Uh, we are going to have a newcomer's luncheon soon. So if you're interested in attending our newcomer's luncheon, where we talk about who we are as a church, uh, and, and uh, you get a chance to meet our leadership, um, do check off in your bulletin. There's a slot there that says, I'm interested in the newcomer's luncheon. Also, if you're interested in becoming a member of Woven, there's also a place where you can indicate that as well. Membership class is something that we will have forthcoming. Also, um, I'm sorry we don't have dates already, but after Hurricane Harvey, we're still kind of getting back on our feet with a lot of things. But um, those are two things that are forthcoming. Personal update. I just flew, it felt like I flew around the world in the last 10 days. Um, I flew in and out of LAX twice in the last 10 days. That's enough to make you very, very tired. And uh, I was in Pasadena, California on campus at Fuller Theological Seminary uh, working on my first year of uh, my doctorate of ministry. And my focus is on faith, work, economics, and vocation. Faith, work, economics, and vocation. And um, I spent 10 days with st students from, from all around the country, all around the world, really, who are all interested in the intersection of faith and work and how it's uh, not just something that, it's not something that we're meant to keep separate. You know, every Sunday, I cognizantly think about what can I say that will help my people, that will encourage my people for Monday morning? What can I say that you will remember as you're on your commute and driving to work tomorrow morning? And for me, that's the great challenge. I don't want to just present you with ideas. I don't just want to present isms to you. I'd like for you to be encouraged, strengthened, so that as you go to work, you're thinking, oh, yeah, you know, remembering, remembering some of the things that, that we were talking about yesterday, and that actually helps me. And really, that's my great ambition. My great ambition is to help you return to work equipped um, come tomorrow morning. Come tomorrow morning. And so in many ways, we live Sunday, we live today. It's our Sabbath, but at the same time, we live to equip for tomorrow morning. And on that note, I'm going to dive into Ephesians as we continue this series called Dear Woven. 
Dear Woven, we're in a series where we're studying the New Testament book of Ephesians. And we're calling this series Dear Woven because there are some who believe that the book of Ephesians was written as in something called an encyclical. It was a letter that was intended to cycle through all of the churches in the known world and I believe across time as well. And a letter that speaks not just to one church in Ephesus, but speaks to churches all around Laodicea, Galatia, Rome, and Houston today. And when you read Ephesians and you understand it, man, you're going to see that this is a very, very applicable message to our times and in our context here in Texas and America today. And so, Dear Woven, a study through the New Testament book of Ephesians, and we're picking up today from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 22. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 22, and we're going to read these passages together. I've divided it up into three chunks, three chunks, and those three chunks, I'm going to call each of them, first, strangers and aliens, secondly, faithful presence, and third, citizens and heirs. So strangers and aliens, faithful presence, and citizens and heirs. And let's dive into Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, as we start off this first heading, strangers and aliens. Now, I invite you to prepare yourself, because Paul is going to get in it. Now, I don't politicize texts. I tend not to read things into it that are not there, but I assure you, Paul is not talking about space aliens. He's talking about issues, I think, that speak to us in our context in America today. Strangers and aliens. What exactly are we talking about? Let's read together Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, all together loud and clear. And I'm reading from the NIV. Therefore... Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. We'll pause right there. So Paul starts off this section, therefore, and he does this a lot, where he says, therefore, um, in conclusion, it's as if to say, so what is he talking, therefore, in light of what? What was he talking about previously? I'll kind of need to just go back to last week and give a quick update. The title of last week's sermon was Waking the Dead, and the, the prime metaphor that I used was the walking dead. Why? Because Paul in Ephesians 2.1 talks about how we, he says, you were dead in your transgressions. You were dead in your sins. And I talked about how for Paul, I think this is not just metaphorical. I think he really, uh, there's something very real about his understanding of us being those who are walking and yet dead. Not just metaphorical, but we're, we're in a very real dead state we're still walking around. And like I, like I shared last Sunday, my little daughter at the time didn't, uh, didn't understand what we were watching. And she said, are you watching Walk and Dead again? And I said, we're watching The Walking Dead. 
Walk and dead is exactly, I think, what Paul is talking about. We were in a very real dead state, and yet we're still walking around. But conversely, Paul says when we resurrected, when Christ resurrected, we too resurrect with him. So this is not just an afterlife kind of thing. I think for Paul, in a very real sense, we were dead, but we, we are now really alive really alive. So therefore, in light of that, therefore, in light of what God has done in us, making us resurrected people, created for good work, walking in new life, Paul says, therefore, remember. In light of all of those things, remember. And that's the operative, the main verb in this paragraph. Remember. Paul does this thing where he says, remember. Oh, and by the way, let me tell you a story. But remember, and he comes back to that verb. Remember, that's the key word. Remember what? Remember what? Well, remember that formerly all of you, this is the main point for this first heading, remember that formerly all you were excluded from citizenship and you were foreigners. You were excluded from citizenship and you were foreigners. In fact, he says, remember that you were something called the uncircumcised. It's in quotes there. And there's a sense that there's almost um, some slanderous statement there. There's some kind of racial epithet almost. You are of the uncircumcised. You were really not citizens. You were foreigners. Um, I had a speaking engagement a while back. Um, it was not here at Woven. And I think you guys know, listening to me, that I am very, very cautious. I, I know I live in Texas. <laughs> and I temper what I say very, very sensitively. I have very nuanced views. Uh, and I spoke and I mentioned the word race. Race, not as in running. Race as in ethnic identity. And this made some people uncomfortable in that context and in that audience. And they approached me and confronted me about that. And I recall thinking to myself, um, wow, it's not like I really took a stand on left or on the right. I just said the word race. And the sentiment was, well, can we just talk about the the gospel, why do we have to talk about ethnic identity? The reason that I, I talk about race, the reason why we exist as a multi-ethnic church, we exist in the first place, was because we were convinced that what Houston needed was a multi-ethnic expression of faith in our city. It's easy for Korean folk to gather together. It's easy for black folk to gather together, easy for white folk to gather together, but it is challenging for people to be together with folk that are not like you. And so when I read this passage, remember that formerly you were aliens, you were strangers. Remember, we're not talking about space aliens here. I don't see Paul just talking about spiritual things. When we read Ephesians, it's possible for us just to get on the spiritual side of things, just to see Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 8. We were saved by grace, and that's all that's required. But we fail to see that, that 
Paul is working out this salvation by grace through faith in the context of what it means to be a Christian when at that time everybody who was a Christian was Jewish. In other words, this idea of the gospel was being wrought. I mean, picture Paul as a hipster with this big beard and his shoulder, his shirt rolled all the way up and he's got this iron and he's in, his, in, in a furnace and the gospel is wrought in this furnace, working, pounding away, figuring out how to do Christianity in a Greco-Roman Jewish Gentile context. All to say, I don't think the gospel is just about spirit or spirituality. I do think the question of race is at the heart or at least is the context that Paul is formulating this in. And so as these people shared with me, they were saying, we shouldn't talk about race. And, and, and then my response in that speaking engagement, my response, I said, my desire is to serve you, friends. I want to serve you. If you feel like I'm not serving you well, then you don't have to invite me back next year. And I said, I'm really sorry. I'll do my best. I'll do my best. And, and I really did my best. And I said, you don't have to invite me back next year. And their response was so interesting. Their response was, we want your voice. Because in this particular venue, we, we were, they, these are their words, they said, we're too white and Southern Baptist. And so we need your voice. Now listen, what if I said, well, no, you know, um, you know Jesus says, dust off your heels and just walk away. For me, it was a learning experience as well because I'm sitting here saying, you want to hear from me. And my response is, well, I want to serve and I'm willing to serve. And that's my heart because I'm willing to be made uncomfortable as well. Apparently, I made them uncomfortable. But I too am willing to be made uncomfortable. Sometimes I hear something and it makes my ear just kind of, you know, I... You know, I struggle with things I hear, but I'm willing to hear. I'm willing to learn. Friends, this is a spiritual secret. This is what I want to share with you this Sunday morning that I hope you will remember tomorrow morning. And the spiritual secret is this. Get comfortable with the uncomfortable. That's the fill in the blank, the first fill in the blank. The spiritual secret is we have to learn to become comfortable with the uncomfortable. You see, if we sterilize Paul's gospel, if we sterilize Ephesians just so that we read it the way we want to read it, so that it makes us comfortable, essentially we close ourselves off to different perspectives. We close ourselves off to growth. So getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, it's a, it's a deep spiritual secret. I share that because essentially this is life. We live life where it's almost like my children, in the middle, when I'm in the middle of doing something or I'm in the middle of conversation, they'll come up, they'll put their hand on my, shoulder, on my, on my arm and they say, Daddy, Daddy, I need to talk to you now. And then I'll have to brush them off and I'll say, not now, not now. And they say, no, I have to tell you now. I have to say this. I have to because I'm so uncomfortable. And I say, not now. And they're standing there going, mm-hmm. they can't live in the uncomfortable How much so us grown children? We cannot live with the uncomfortable. We go, and then we run off 
to idolatrous things. We run off to things to make us comfortable. The spiritual secret, I think, to a lot of life, to a lot of life, is learning to become comfortable in discomfort. Learning to become comfortable in discomfort. I was very uncomfortable when I sat on the tarmac for an hour, both times in LAX. Very uncomfortable. I could have given everybody a piece of my mind. I could have become comfortable by unloading. But the spiritual secret, I think, is we have to learn how to find serenity in the midst of discomfort. Oh, I have to fix this now. Oh, I have, to, I have to make things right now. No, you don't. No, you don't. God's saying, trust me. You know, he's taking your hand and he's saying, wait. Trust me. Now, that's kind of a stretch with this passage, but I think the connection here is that we want to make passages of Scripture comfortable for us, but there is discomfort there. And that discomfort, we have to get used to that. Com- we have to get used to that discomfort. And we have to be open to learning. We continue with verse 13. But in verse 13, so Paul says, Remember that this is who you were. You were foreigners, you were excluded, you were the uncircumcised. Right there, that's uncomfortable. I mean, what are you calling me? But then in verse 13, Paul changes his tone. He says, But now. In Christ Jesus, you who formerly, you who once were far away, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And what's said here, I think, is something very important. There is the beginning of a uniting principle. Those who are far away being brought near by the blood of Christ. And this is going to get us into the second heading, faithful presence faithful presence. So we go from strangers and aliens to, to faithful presence. Now, by the way, I just want to just give you a heads up. This, this, this phrase, faithful presence, comes from a book that I'm, um, that I'm going to be reading by somebody named James Hunter. James Hunter writes a book. If you want to write this down, it's called To Change the World, To Change the World. And James Hunter, his thesis basically is that uh, Christians who have entered, uh, who have entered into the political scene, and he, he's very fair in his critique. He criticizes Chuck Colson on the right, but just as much he criticizes Jim Wallace on the left, and he's saying that theologies that are addressing, that are trying to, that are trying to marry the right with Christianity, and theologies that are trying to marry the left with Christianity, he's saying neither. There's a better way forward, a third way, he calls it faithful presence. So what I'm talking about today, faithful presence, is that when you have the left, and I lived, I come from the left, I lived as left as you can get, and now I live in the right, and I hear and I understand the criticisms, the critiques of both sides, I am more convinced than ever, these guys don't have the answer. These guys don't have the answer. There's got to be a better, different way. You see, essentially what this entire section is about is about how far the right and how far the left are from each other, how they are not 
seeing each other, how they are not getting along. And listen to this. Listen to this in verse 19. Paul says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. The verse that I want us to look at is verse 14. Verse 14. This is what I want us to catch. For he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace who's made the two groups one. He's made the two groups one, and he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Friends, can you hear how radical this is in our current socio-political context? Can you hear how radical this is when you hear people on the right saying stuff, when you hear people on the left saying stuff, and what he's talking about is how he made two groups into one, destroying the barrier. How do you do that? How do you convince that uncle that you have on Facebook that your point of view is right? How do you convince that radical over there that what they're talking about is baloney and therefore they should agree with you on your views? How do we bring people to agreement? We don't. We create sound chambers. We unfriend those that we disagree with and we only listen to the voices that agree with us and we like the people who say, yeah, 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 and we like their posts and they like our posts and we become more convinced more convinced about our position. How in the world do we bring two into one? How do we destroy the dividing wall of hostility? I think the answer is in this passage. The answer is in this passage when, Christ, when Paul says, for he himself is our peace. By setting aside in his flesh, his purpose was to create in himself in one body, reconciling both sides through the cross, for through him we have access. Think about what's being said here. How are two groups made into one? The answer is the fill-in-the-blank. It's a piece of doctrine. Paul is teaching here. I think I will as well. It's atonement. Atonement. The atonement is shedding the blood of one person on behalf of another. In other words, two groups are made into one. How? Through Christ internalizing it, taking it into himself, taking it upon himself. 
Like I said, when they said we're, we're, we're uncomfortable with what you're talking about, then I could say, well, then, goodbye. I don't need to talk to this crowd anymore. But no, I said, I can take it. I can take it. To some degree, how can I say this? How can I say this carefully? Because Christ can atone. The question is, can you? Can you take it? Man, I can't believe what this person just said. I'm going to unfriend them. I so disagree with this person. I'm, I'm not, I don't have the time of day. I'm not going to listen. What I'm saying is, can you take it a little bit? Christ took it. Well, I'm not Christ. I'm not God. Why should I take it? Well, friends, there's no moving forward if Christians are not willing to follow in Christ's atoning example. If all we want to do is squarely place ourselves in this camp or this camp and create a theological argument, we will never make friends. We will never find a unifying way forward. Faithful presence is essentially saying, I'll take it. Faithful presence is essentially saying, I disagree, but I will still be in relationship with you, and I will still be your friend always to the end. Faithful presence is atoning for the sins of others. Now, this can get us into all kinds of toxic, unhealthy patterns, I understand. So let me teach another doctrine, and this doctrine is called kenosis. I'm just going to do a little teaching today. So the first one is atonement. Today I'd like to talk about kenosis as well. Kenosis comes from another one of Paul's letters. And the idea of kenosis comes from Philippians chapter 2, where Jesus, where Paul says, have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Jesus. This attitude is this. Christ, who existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Kenosis is about emptying ourselves. Do you know who I am? How can you disagree with me? Emptying ourselves. Christ emptied himself, took the form of a bondservant, became like men. Kenosis is this, that's where that word, uh, emptying ourselves, that's that's where we get the word kenosis from. And the idea of kenosis And it's an old spiritual practice that goes back thousands of years, really. We Christians don't practice it well today. We're the total opposite of kenosis. We don't want to empty ourselves. We want to win. We want to be right. We want to fix. We're not comfortable with the uncomfortable. Kenosis teaches us be uncomfortable hanging out with people you disagree with. Kenosis says... Be willing to empty yourself of all of your rightness, your accolades, your opinions. Christ took upon himself, took upon himself the disagreeing factions, thereby making peace. Friends, this, I believe, is the faithful way forward. Yes, we live in a very red state, in a very divided country, in a very divided time. There is stuff going around in our nation that is only going to tear us further apart. 
unless we Christians learn faithful presence in your particular fields, in your workplaces, rather than taking a divisive stance here or here. You notice this, I'm, I'm, I'm gesturing to my right, which is your left, and to my left, which is your right. Instead of taking a divisive stance, being a relational, faithful presence that's willing to atone for the foibles and the sins and the shortcomings of humanity around us. And if you can't atone for the sins of others, because yes, only, I mean, that's a godlike act. If you can't, then at least say, I'm willing to take the path of kenosis. I'm willing to empty myself. I don't have to win every argument. And that gets us to the third and last heading, which I read prematurely before. Citizens and heirs, citizens and heirs, now I read verse 19 to 22. Citizens, so we move from aliens to heirs, strangers to citizens. Listen to what Paul says in verse 19. Consequently, this is a great wrapping up statement. Consequently, this is mind-blowing because you understand the great divide, you have Gentiles and Jews And he's speaking to Gentiles now. He's saying, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You're fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. We're built up together now. This new humanity that he spoke of before. This new humanity is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ himself as the cornerstone. And in Christ, this whole building is being built built up, joined together, it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too, you can fill in the blank there, you too, Ephesus, you too, Galatia, you too, woven. You too, woven, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. I don't know if I did justice to this incredible statement that Paul is making in these three readings. You got to read it again. It, you, people in this country like to talk about alt, alt left, alt right, alt this, alt that. This is alt. <laughs> this is incredibly alt. Two sides opposing, brought together in the blood of one man to create a new humanity and a building a building? No, they don't share our values. We can't, we can't. They, they don't have the same values. They don't have the same culture as us. In the house, in the same building. I'll say this in conclusion. All of you are citizens and heirs. That person out there that drives you crazy, that drives like a mad person tomorrow morning, could be together with you in the house, in the same building, a citizen, a fellow citizen, a fellow heir, have charity towards all mankind. Look out at the citizens and heirs amongst you, the fellow citizens. The last spiritual secret that I'd like to offer to kind of drive this point home. You know, I did a little bit of doctrine today. I want to do a little bit of spiritual, spiritual guidance. 
This actually was taught to me by a Catholic friend. And we were talking not so much about race relations or something. We were talking about marriage. And he taught me, whenever you have the perfect thing to say, don't say it. Don't say it. Whenever you're on Facebook and you're like, yeah, you know, our president just did this. I'm going to say this. Or this is how I feel. There... There have been so many times that I've said things on Facebook that I can't take back. And I I seem to be kind of picking on Facebook a lot. But relationally, friends, I love this saying by Maya Angelou. They may not remember what you said. Somebody finish that for me. They'll remember how you made them feel. And you can win an argument You can win a political argument, but have you won the person in the process? They won't remember what you said. They won't remember your perfect, airtight reasoning and logic, but they will remember, man, he made me feel really, really bad. She just makes me feel dumb. I don't feel appreciated or loved by that person. Whenever you have the perfect thing to say, this, I believe, is a spiritual discipline. You can apply this. See, across the, across the board, you can apply it on Facebook. You can apply it in your marriages and in your friendships. Young, young people, right? The worst thing to say to a friend is, I told you so. Don't rub it in. Whenever you have the perfect thing to say, don't say it. This is a spiritual secret. This is kind of in line with that thing before. Get comfortable with being discomfortable with being uncomfortable because you know you want to say it I was right tell me I was right I was right don't say it you're itching you just want to say it but get comfortable with the uncomfortable don't say it even if you have the perfect thing because because our opinions really they're overrated they're overrated we're not that special we're not going to change the world and what we say more than anything matters when people feel like you're their friend or not. In conclusion, Woven, we've, you know, we're having our annual meeting today. I've been thinking a lot about the future. When I think about this church, this is the church I want to retire at. I spent a lot of time in California this past, no amount of money (laughs) would, would get me to live anywhere else. You are my people. This is my church. May Woven's fingerprint, tiny fingerprint, in the future of this city be one of faithful presence. May we be a people that hear Paul's message to the Ephesians, to Woven. May we be those who are able to practice faithful presence that understand this kenosis of downward mobility, emptying ourselves. May we be a beautifully humble, spiritual people. Amen? Let's close our eyes. There was a lot of uh, ideas, content, doctrine, a couple of spiritual application there. I want to invite you to just consider what you need to hear what is ringing in your ears, I want to invite you to consider what does this mean for me? How then shall I live my life? 
And as you identify that thought, pray it over. Converse with God. God can talk to you on your level. Converse with Him. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I need. Lord, I pray for Woven. I pray for all these people. I pray that as we move into our annual meeting, as we move into our future, really, big plans, big dreams, big visions, I pray that you would help us to be faithful presence, that we would faithfully steward what you have given to us and humbly, humbly live amongst this world. I pray, Lord, that you would give everyone exactly what they need at this time, the right word, the right voice of encouragement. Help us to sing our lungs out, to sing your praises. So, Lord, empower, strengthen. I pray that you'd strengthen marriages, strengthen friendships, strengthen families, strengthen our couples, strengthen our, all of our relationships at this time. Build up woven to be a house built up a building with Christ as the cornerstone. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org That's www.wovenchurch.org